0: Amen. Praise the Lord, everyone. You can be seated. We'll just leave that right there. How about that? Uh, good to be here. Uh, it is uh, such an honor to be here. The Lord is so good. Amen. And uh, I say this quite often, but he's, he's way, He's way gooder to me than I deserve. Amen. Reminded of a story. I read a long time ago. It's just stuck with me. Kind of a little funny story, but uh, an employee goes to his boss and he says, uh, "You know, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't think you're paying me what I'm worth." And uh, the boss tells this uh, this this young man. He says, uh, "You know what? You're right." Of course, the employee was kind of taken back by that. He goes, "Really?" And the uh, the boss says, "Yeah, but." Uh, by law, I have to pay you a minimum, but I wish I could pay you a lot less. Wow, probably not the answer he was expecting. But, uh, you know, there's a, there's a psalm, Psalm 103 and in, in verse 10, that, that part of that little verse says that, uh, says, the Lord has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. I am so thankful that the Lord didn't give me what I deserved, but He gave me everything I didn't deserve. Grace, mercy, patience, forgiveness, long suffering, second chances, hundredth chances, amen. Uh, he's good to me. He's been so good to me. Amen. Um, man, I wish my wife could be here this evening. She's not here. She's in, she's in Texas. Uh, she's been there for, for a while. And um, we are originally from there. You know, they say the good thing about a a a Texan is you never have to ask them where they're from; they'll gladly tell you. And uh, so we are originally from there. But as uh, we were we were appointed as uh, missionaries to Bolivia in 2011, and uh, our first aim trip to Bolivia was in 2006, um, and and we have loved it. Uh, We are without a doubt we are where God wants us to be at. And that that is a that is brings you a great sense of peace. Uh, you can go through storms, you can go through difficulties and trials, but if you have that assurance that you are where God wants you to be, it makes the storm a little bit easier to manage and handle. Amen. And so we know that uh, that is where God wants us to be at. Um, just a little bit about Bolivia, just uh, and then I'll just give a little testimony about what God's been doing, but uh, Bolivia. We have about uh, 12 million people that live in the country, and uh, we live in uh, what is now the the largest city in Bolivia, Santa Cruz. It has about two million people. Uh, you know, sometimes if you look at things on a map, they, you know they don't. It's hard to have a comparison. Um, and so I don't know if any of you have ever been to Nova Scotia, right? I just came from Nova Scotia last week. So if you were to put Nova Scotia and New Brunswick together, Bolivia would be about 14 times larger than that. So it's not a small place, uh, but uh, we live on what kind of what is called the eastern side of Bolivia, the the lowlands. Uh, It's hot, tropical, uh, green, humid, cows, a lot like Texas. Uh, So we love it. We feel right at home there. Uh, When we went to Santa Cruz in 2016, uh, we finished up deputation at the end of 2015, got to Bolivia January the 5th of 2016, me and my family, we're the, we were the first missionary family uh, with our organization to live on that side of the country of Bolivia. All the other missionaries have lived in the mountains on the western side, uh, you know, which is the Andean Mountain Range. They've lived there. Uh, when, and just a testimony of what God has been doing there. Uh, we went there uh, to Santa Cruz, and in that district, what we call a district, uh, that district consists of three provinces. And those are the three states or the three provinces that border Brazil, so the further north you go in our district, the more humid and the hotter it gets because you get closer to the Amazon basin, uh, but when we went there, we uh, only had five churches in that district, in those three states, uh, and you know, and it was, uh, we were the first to live there, first missions to live there, so you know, we're trying to work along with the, the, the pastors that are there, and, and um, you know, help out, and you know, I teach in the Bible school there, and visiting churches. Uh, and one day, you know, I was reading the Bible, and, uh, which, you know, is probably a good thing to do every once in a while, right? Read the Bible. And so I was reading the Bible, and um, I came across uh, the end of uh, Matthew chapter 9. And uh, it says in verse 36, but when, it, when he, Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And then he saith unto his disciples, so here he is, Jesus scanning the multitude, And then he turns to the 12 and he says, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And, uh, you know, I'd read these verses before, I had them marked up in my Bible, uh, but something got a hold of me. And um, something we need to understand also as as a 21st century church is that even since the days of Jesus, there's never been a lack of harvest, only a lack of laborers. So whatever neighborhood, town you live in, if you live in Fredericton or Maryville or wherever, uh, we have to understand that, that where you are, where you work at, where you attend college at or high school at, there's not a lack of harvest. It's just a lack of laborers. And so the church has always suffered from that, not from a lack of harvest, not from fields to work in, but from people who are willing to go out into the fields to labor. You know, and, and so what would be a laborer in the, in the context of the kingdom uh, I think it would be someone who is willing to lend and dedicate their time, energy, and resources, their talents to the kingdom for the sake and growth of the kingdom. Amen. And, and, um, and then the next verse, verse 38, he says, Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And so I begin to look at some of the other teachings of Jesus, and uh, I I came across the conclusion and um, that. Apart from that, you know, you have the famous Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, there's a handful of verses there. You know, apart from that, uh, I think it's a model prayer. Apart from that prayer uh, that Jesus gave to his disciples, uh, when you study out all of Jesus' teachings, he does not give his disciples very many specific prayer requests. But this is a specific prayer request that he gave his disciples. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And so these verses did something to me and got, really got a hold of my life. And um, I began to promote this among our pastors. If I was in a church, to promote it. Uh, you know, in our little district there in Santa Cruz, we would have uh, monthly pastoral meetings and we would go to the superintendent's house and uh, we'd have a meeting for, you know three four five six hours whatever we'd have times you know planning for things talking about things in the district praying together and um, and so I would share this whenever I could try to encourage our churches or pastors to share this uh, you know it's interesting and, and obviously uh, you know I'm not trying to twist you know your theology or anything but I find it interesting that that Jesus never asked us to pray for revival. No, I'm not against that. Not against praying for revival. Not against praying for an outpouring of God's spirit. But that's not what he he, he never requested that of his disciples. He said, pray for laborers, that the Lord would send forth laborers into his harvest. Uh, Because the truth is, when you have more laborers, you will have more growth. When you have more laborers, you will have more people praying for revival, when you have, you will see that. You'll see a, a multiplication, multiplication of churches uh, and believers when you have more people working in the fields and harvesting, reaching out to souls. And so, you know, in my way of thinking, as we begin to talk about this and promote this, and we, we've made a prayer schedule uh, and we begin to pray over different parts of the city and our district and things like that. Uh, my way of thinking is that um, you know we're get some of the some of the younger people trained, right? Not that I'm old, but you know people younger than me. You know we'll get them trained and and we'll get them sent out. We'll start some new Bible study groups, some new preaching points, and we were able to send out two couples, and they were able to go to different parts and and start new churches. But but something else, unpredicted, that was unpredictable, happened. Uh, As we begin to pray for this over the next three years, we had three Bolivian families that had been living in Argentina. That's the country south of Bolivia. They'd been living there for, uh, one one family had lived there for 20 years. And they were, you know, active. None none of them were pastoring or anything, but they were just active in the local church. But uh, they felt that God was calling them back to their homeland to work. But the interesting part is they didn't go back to their hometown. They didn't even go back to their home province They came to the area that we were working in. And unbeknownst to them, you see, they didn't know this at the time, but we had been praying for laborers. We were praying that God would call laborers to come and help us and that we would be able to raise up laborers, you know, and train laborers. And and they answered the call. And they came to the Santa Cruz area, and they went to different parts and started new churches and uh, we're seeing growth there and revival. And so uh, the testimony there is that in the past six years in the city of Santa Cruz and in the that in our district, we've grown from five churches to now we have 13 churches. Amen, in just six years. Whereas before, you know, Bolivia is a Spanish-speaking country, but the truth is only, only about 70%. 70% of the people in Bolivia speak Spanish as their first language. We have, uh, the government officially recognizes 37 languages as, as official languages. And uh, right now, as a as a whole, we're only preaching the gospel. As a church body in Bolivia, we're only preaching the gospel in three of those languages. So we have a lot of work left to be done. But, but thankfully, in, in the city of Santa Cruz now, whereas before, we were... Uh, not preaching the gospel in any of the indigenous languages. Now we have two churches that are preaching the gospel in the language of Quechua. Amen, one of the indigenous languages there. When we go back, one of our goals is to be able to uh, somehow get a Portuguese work going because we have tens of thousands of Brazilians. You know, they speak Portuguese. We have tens of thousands of Brazilians that live in Santa Cruz. And so we're going to try to reach out and, and establish a church in that community because, you know, and I know you know this, but the gospel is, is designed to work in every language group. It's designed to work in every culture, every society, every ethnic group. And the gospel is for everyone, amen, amen. And so um, we, we need laborers, we need laborers, and we are constantly praying for laborers. I, I'm thankful I was, in December, I was able to go back to Bolivia for a couple of weeks in our district, we have what we call a Thanksgiving Day service. It always happens about the, the first or second week of December. And all of our churches just come together in one location, all over, and we just celebrate what God has done throughout the year. Amen. And so for the first time in the history of the work there in Santa Cruz, uh, we had to rent a small gymnasium because now... We don't have a single church large enough to hold everyone that wants to come and participate in our services, amen, as our Thanksgiving Day service. So it's not that we're just building empty churches, amen. We are seeing growth. We are seeing even during COVID, right? Uh, I, know, I know here in Canada, you guys were on lockdown and that affected you. So were we in Bolivia. We, could, we didn't have any in-person services for six months, uh, and when I say lockdown, we were, we were literally on lockdown. For example, um, especially during the first four months of that, uh, we could only, a family could only have one adult per household leave their house one day per week to do grocery shopping. And then if you were a minor, you were not allowed to go outside at all. So our daughter, she was a minor at the time, she didn't leave the apartment for six months. And then you couldn't drive on top of that. There's no public transportation. And so you had to walk to the nearest grocery store. So our nearest grocery store was about a kilometer and a half. And so how do you bring back all those groceries? Well, simple. You just roll a suitcase down there. You check in your suitcase at the supermarket, they give you a tag for your suitcase, and then you you know do shopping and fill up your little, you know, your suitcase with you know thirty kilometers of, of food and try to roll that thing you know, a kilometer and a half back to the, back to the apartment, right, and, um, but even during that time, you know, because they would check your ID, they were police checkpoints, and, you know, the day that you're allowed to be be out on was, uh, uh, you know, it had to match up with the last digit of your national ID number, and so even during that time, you know, we started doing Facebook live services, and streaming, and things like that, and pastors were doing Bible studies over WhatsApp video, and all kinds of things like that, that, whatever we could do just to keep, keep the church going. But some of those pastors, when it was their day to go out and do grocery stop, shopping, instead of going to do grocery shopping, they would go to people's houses and baptize them in their homes. Amen. Uh, you know, the pandemic, that didn't catch God by surprise. It caught us by surprise, but it didn't catch God by surprise. And something my pastor would always say, he says, no matter what, God will have a church. Amen. Amen. God will have a church. Uh, You know, I I was just thinking about this service. There's the story in Genesis chapter uh, 3, and and I know some of you are probably familiar with that, where uh, I'm just going to read a couple of these verses here, and it says in uh, Genesis chapter 3, it's where Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit from the forbidden tree and their eyes were open, and they realized they were naked. In verse number 8, Genesis 3 and 8 says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called out to Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard that voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And I just want to use that, that question from verse number 9 and just talk to you for a few more minutes about well, where are you? I, I mean, I understand we're in Fredericton this evening. It's Friday night, uh, June, whatever. I don't even know the date. But here we are. This I know where you are physically, but more, more importantly, spiritually, where, where are you at? And, and in that context of spiritually, uh, where are you at in your relationship with the Lord? Uh, and, and how... Are you involved in your local church? Where, where are you? What, what are you doing? When I came into the church many years ago, it was 1997, and um, I, I was I was pretty much a, a, an all-out heathen before that. And when I came into the church, and God began to deal with me about maybe being called to preach and being involved in ministry, and 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 mission work and things like that. Um, I, I really struggled with that concept. For me, it was very very difficult because I would think that you know how could God use someone like me? What what do I have to offer? I I can't uh, do what this guy does. I can't sing. I can't play any instruments. Um, you know, I don't I don't have very many talents. Why why you know there's. You know, and then when God called me to be a missionary to Bolivia, you know, there there's only about 400 million people that can speak Spanish better than me. Why would God choose me to be involved in that? And and, and I understand the context of Genesis 3, right? It's right after what we call the fall of man. Uh, Adam and Eve disobeyed the commandment of the Lord and, and the, you know, sin and, and through that disobedience and all of that. And I understand the, the conversation, but... But you know, sometimes the call of God will go forth. The call of God will go forth. And I think it always goes forth, and I think people. Will, I think people, there are many people that hear the call of God that refuse to answer the call of God for a variety of reasons. But I think one of those reasons is sometimes it's because we are afraid. We are embarrassed. We feel unworthy. We feel like we don't have anything to offer. You know, Jesus gives the parable of those uh, the, the, the one talent and the five talent and the ten talents given to those individuals, and they were meant to invest those talents. And, and um, I, I know you've probably seen people like that, right, with ten talents. right? They can play a variety of instruments. They can sing. They're just completely gifted. And, and then on top of that, they're good-looking. And then you have people like me that just might have a half of a talent. And sometimes we feel intimidated and we feel unworthy and we try to withdraw ourselves from what God is calling us to do because we don't understand why God would choose someone like us. What what do I have to offer I mean, you know, on Sundays, I'm sure you have a pretty good crowd. There's quite a few people here this evening, but sometimes you can come in, look at the crowd and say, where, where would I fit into this? What would I have to offer CCC? How, how could I make it better? And we feel intimidated by what God desires to work in our Lives. You know, in First Corinthians chapter 12, Paul begins to talk about the church as a body. He uses the analogy of the body. And um, he begins, you know, he says things like, you know, if the I'm probably paraphrasing and misquoting here, but he says, you know, if, if the whole body was an ear, where would the seeing be? You know, if everybody was equal, that wouldn't make the body very if if, if your whole body was just a hand. That would be kind of silly, right? That that doesn't make any sense. Or if your your whole body was just a nose. But he says, you know, God has placed the members of the body uh, in the body as he he wanted to, as he chose to. And um, so he makes that analogy that the church, that the members of the church are like a human body. And, And in the human body, every part of the body has a place and a function in the body, and if that part of the body doesn't operate the way it was designed to operate, it, it hinders the body, right? And, and I, I'm not trying to make fun of anybody that, that's crippled or, or has a handicap or anything like that, but, you know, if you wake up tomorrow and, and in your legs say, you know what, I, we're not moving today. We're not participating in what you want to do today. So, so what could you do? Well, let's just say it's just one leg. Well, you might could drag yourself out of bed, maybe get dressed, maybe with a little bit of assistance, and you might could go through your day and get a few things done, right? You might, you might could get a few things done, but what does that do? It, it, it limits the, mo- the mobility of your body. It limits the movements of your body, and it hinders what you are trying to accomplish for that day. And, and I think the local church is sort of like that, Uh, when we have people in our local churches that come and they are not participating in the local body because, you know, the church is not meant to be a spectator sport. God did not redeem our souls. He did not fill us with the Holy Ghost. He did not lift us from a life of sin uh, just so we could come and just, just watch and then just go home and not ever do anything else again until the next Sunday. But God has brought us into the body to be participants, to work alongside other people within the body. But when we have people that have talents and abilities and they refuse to lend those talents and abilities to the local church, it ends up handicapping the local church and the local church cannot fulfill its God-given role in the local community. And nowadays in the 21st century, you know, uh, 50 years ago, we used to think, well, ministry is just uh, preaching and maybe playing an instrument, singing, teaching Sunday school. But nowadays in the 21st century, I mean, you have people, you know, you got you got to have to have a team that keeps the church clean, and now you have to have a multimedia team, and, and you have to have people that keeps the, you know, the, the paint looking fresh on the building, and, and you know, and all that kind of stuff, and the yard kept up, and trash picked up, and bathrooms clean, and it takes a whole host of people to come together and to work together so that the Body of Christ can do its God and fulfill its God given purpose in the local community. And there's that uh, you know I don't know what was going on with um, Paul. Paul must have heard something, right? He had heard something, and and as he was writing, sitting there in jail and writing his letter to the Corinthians. I mean, I'm sorry to the Colossians. He says um, he's getting ready to close out that that little short four-chapter letter to the Colossians, and, but, but he had heard something about somebody, and so he felt that it was, whatever was going on in this individual's life, he felt that it was important enough to include in that letter. And so in the next to the last verse, uh, there at the end of Colossians chapter 4 and verse 17, Paul writes, And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. I don't know what was going on in Archippus' life, but something had happened in his life. Uh, and something had maybe knocked him sideways and got him distracted and he had kind of wandered off. When maybe he was more involved in the church previously, he had kind of drifted because, you know, life happens. It's nothing intentional that you, you know, for most people, they don't intentionally mean to backslide, right? It, they, they just It's like a slow drift. You just slowly drift away. And so he tells Archippus, he reminds Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast fulfilled in the Lord that thou fulfill it. I don't know exactly what his ministry was, but what we do know is that there was some lacking on Archippus' part. He was not as sold out as he was before. He was not as passionate about what God had called him to do as he was before. And, And sometimes in the local church we have to be reminded that God has given us a ministry, a function in the local body, and that God expects us to fulfill that function in the local body. And again, where, where are you at? What, what is your level of involvement in the body of Christ this evening? Are are you drifting? Where were you? Did you used to be really involved, but you know, life happens. University happens. Marriage happens. Kids come along. I've been through all of that. I, I know what that's like. I, I know what it's like to drift. Can I just be honest a little bit with my personal life? I remember in two thousand and six, uh, we went to Bolivia for that summer. Two and a half months, you know, we went there to try it out. It was the short-term missions and just to kind of see what, what if this was really what God wanted us to do and if we were really hearing correctly the voice of the Lord in our lives. Our, our, our daughter, she ended up turning three in Bolivia. Our son, you know, he was about five and a half at that time. And uh, we come back to Bolivia, I mean, come back to the United States from Bolivia, and I was working at a job, and, and then I just started working more, and I started working more, and uh, then they moved me to another store, and I began to work more, and I uh, started missing a lot of church. But, you know, they were paying me, you know, a fairly decent amount of money, nothing I could, you know, retire off of, but it was, it was a decent amount of money. And, and you know, I, I did a pretty good job at my job, and so I would get bonuses, you know, I ended up getting bonuses for like seventeen months in a row, and you know, so I was doing okay. You know, but but I was I was starting to miss more and more church. Like there was one time, you know, where I had to work twenty eight days in a row. No no days off. And then I started having problems in my marriage. And then I came to the decision, and and I know that God had called me to be in Bolivia and I had to make that decision that that it was either I was going to stick with this job and I was going to end up losing out I was going to end up losing some things or I could quit that job and regain this other stuff my marriage my walk with God and uh and finally, I, I walked in, and I, I turned in my two-week notice. I didn't even have another job lined up. And, and when I f- did find another job, it was, ended, up being, I ended up losing about $1,000 a, a month in pay by going from one job to the next job. But that next job that I worked, all I had to do was work from, like, 7 to 5, Monday through Friday. I didn't have to work Wednesday nights anymore. I didn't have to work Sundays anymore. I'm just telling you, none of that stuff was intentional on my part. You know, I was just trying to take care of my family, trying to take care of my small kids, make sure they have clothes and food and things like that. But in the process of chasing that stuff, I was beginning to drift. And I was not fulfilling that ministry that God had given me in my local church. And the more I drifted, the emptier I felt. So where are you this evening? What is your level of commitment in the local body? You know, when God called you, you know, he didn't make a mistake. He didn't make a mistake. And I understand, I've been on that side too, and I already mentioned that to where that, you know, sometimes we'll feel that intimidation from what God is calling us to do. And we can feel unworthy. And we can feel like we don't have anything to offer. But again, God has called you with a purpose. He knows what you can become. He knows what you can accomplish in the local body. If you'll fulfill your ministry. If you'll do what God is calling you to do. If you'll become more involved. And I'm just going to close out with this. And and, and I, I was thinking about this um, while, while they were singing, but many years ago I was single, well, I had no thought about being involved in missions or anything and and um, uh, we had a missionary come through that little local country church there in Texas and he began to tell a story about uh, uh, there was a handicapped uh, man in a wheelchair that was attending the church in the country that he was a missionary in and you know and it was not a not a handicap friendly city, right They didn't have you know wheelchair ramps, it was just stairs and if he went to church, someone had to go by there and physically help him get in the car and bring them to church because he couldn't get on a bus. You know, it was just not friendly. The city was just not friendly that way. And um, they, they were getting involved in a big evangelistic campaign and evangelizing, going to parks and going from door to door. And the man felt really bad that he didn't have anything to offer, that he could not participate in the evangelistic Uh, uh, Efforts that they were doing in the city And so he asked the pastor who was the missionary What he could do And he said why don't you just focus on praying Just focus on praying So that man went home And you know they used to have phone books right? I know we don't have those anymore But he had a phone book And he went through and at random He picked out ten names out of the phone book Wrote them down And he began to pray for them every day And when that man died a few years later, all ten of those strangers' names that he had written down and started praying for every day, all ten of them were in the church, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. Don't be intimidated by what God is calling you to do. Don't be afraid. Don't try to hide. Don't try to... Uh, you know, search out other priorities, other things to do. Become involved in the local body. Fulfill your ministry in the local body and do what God is calling you to do. Let's stand. Uh, this evening. Thank you so much for having me. And, and before I turn this over to, to Pastor Lehman, I just want to say thank you for all of your support uh, for missions, for us personally and what you're doing and all of your prayers and all of your giving. Uh, this church here has is, is partnered with us and supported us through the years and we are so grateful for that. We are so grateful for that. And I'm just trying to encourage someone here tonight. Do what God is calling you to do. Pastor Lehman, will you come, please? Let's just give a hand clap unto the Lord and let's just worship for a few moments here this evening.